Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, July 23rd. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mayor Nahid Nenshi. We speak with the mayor about the news coming out this week that one employee in the city's 911 call centre received overtime pay of $100,000 last year. Next, we head stateside where COVID-19 cases are now surging. In fact, case numbers are now on the rise in 46 states. We get the latest on the situation from Global News Washington correspondent Jennifer Johnson. It's a business tax break that could put more money in your pocket, but there's a lot of confusion surrounding the new program. We'll get some details on the federal initiative from chartered professional accountant Steve Muth. And finally, looking to up your grilling game, we learn about the importance of rubbing your meat. Mm -hmm. From Janine Norman, owner of Calgary's Alpine Sausage, Janine explains how being more hands-on with your meat can take your summer barbecue to the next level. And we say good morning and happy Friday to Mayor Nahid Nenshi. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Good morning, friends. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. Things are a, a little bit back to normal, I guess, after Stampede. Did you did you get down to the grounds at all? I did. I, I, I got down a couple of times. Uh, I'm really happy with how people were conducting themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm really proud of the way the Stampede ran things. So I think that was a nice uh, moment for us to for folks who are comfortable to say, you know, I'm ready to turn a page, and for folks who are not yet comfortable to say, you know, I think they're being responsible, and I'll be back next year. So I'm really happy to see how things played out. Couldn't agree more, for sure. Okay, Andy touched on it as he was teasing uh, you coming on with us this morning, and uh, let's let's talk about it. A new report came out yesterday showing an unnamed 911 employee earned over $100,000 in overtime in 2020, and apparently that raised your eyebrows. It did indeed. I mean, the interesting thing about this report as a whole was things are pretty okay. You know, 15,000 employees of whom 3,000 are in any overtime at all. A big chunk of those uh, were management employees this year during COVID who, you know, we unfortunately had to lay off a bunch of people and relied a lot on management folks. Um, So, you know, one employee out of 15,000 is the only one that raised my eyebrows, which I suppose is not a terrible ratio, but I prefer my eyebrows not to be raised at all. Um, And so obviously we're going to look into that one a little bit more. I'm wondering, I don't know, but I'm wondering if that had something to do with this crazy transition of the EMS dispatch uh, for, um, excuse me, for EMS outside of Calgary 911. And if that just caused a ton of work uh, to make that transition happen as smoothly as possible. But it's something that we'll look into a little more. From a city standpoint, Mr. Mayor, I'm sure you have uh, you have a few things on your plate. From the mayor's <laughs> view, um, you know, who is involved with governing this to, to look at these positions that are getting an exorbitant amount? I know you say this is a rare one to say, okay, obviously we need to hire more people. Who's the bean counter yeah. when it comes to that? Well, you know that was part of the challenge. That's been part of the challenge because as we've been, you know, cutting costs, cutting costs, reducing our workforce, uh, lowering taxes over the last number of years, sometimes you end up in a situation where you've gone too far. And because we've had a hiring freeze for a long time now, you know, the managers really have to apply and get that job and so on uh, approved before they can hire anybody. So that might be a bit of this. Um, but, you know, overall, there's you know, a lot of folks say things like the, the police service is actually set up for overtime, right? It's set up so that people uh, make their most of their money off of overtime. But in fact, the, the, the data don't really show that. 
And, you know, in the police service, you know, pretty much most sworn officers will be getting overtime, but it's not a huge portion of their salaries. So it sounds like things are um, reasonably well handled, but it may well be that we went a bit too far with all the hiring freezes and so on in some places. But ultimately, the managers will, will figure that out. So even with this one employee getting so much, right, that's probably less than the cost of hiring one employee. So, uh, you know, this is the kind of math that managers will do. I just want to know how that person stayed awake. That's like having two full-time jobs. I don't know. Right? Uh, yeah, I know. It's crazy. Let's talk and about... And 911, which is not, uh, yeah. which is not uh, uh, a sit-back-and-relax kind of job. And you want to be on alert and on the ball at all times. So I'm, I'm glad exactly. that's being looked into for sure. Let's talk about the Office to Residential Conversion Grants. Where's the city at with that? Well, you know, we passed the downtown strategy um, a few weeks ago here. Um, almost unanimously at council, and we funded the first couple of years of it. And that strategy is is a 10-year strategy to really transform our downtown. And part of it is about getting more people living downtown. And so we put a little bit of money into these office to residential grants because essentially we were being told by uh, building owners, you know, I just can't quite make the math work to do this conversion. And so these grants are sort of to get people over the finish line. It's certainly not to pay for the whole cost of the conversion. And uh, so now the criteria have been drafted for what that's going to look like. Uh, landowners are getting interested in applying for it, and I hope that we'll see some of these happen soon. We did fully fund one of them, just as, a, as an example project, which is going to be an affordable housing project uh, right on 7th Avenue Southwest. Uh, and I went to tour it. It is going to be beautiful, and more important, it's an example to show how you can do these conversions. Mr. Mayor, we have to take a quick break. Can you hang around for two more minutes? I sure can. More with Mayor Nahed Nenshi. We've got a couple more things we want to get to, uh, Mr. Mayor, but let's uh, you know get into some good news here. seems like every few weeks we're talking about tech jobs moving to our city, and the RBC Tech Hub announced uh, Wednesday morning that they're moving here. Super happy about this. Uh, this is something that I've been working on for a long time, which is really helping a lot of existing Canadian firms see the potential here in Calgary in terms of the talent uh, and in terms of the cost uh, and how it makes sense for them to move some of their head office functions here. And this one's particularly exciting because it will start with 300 high-level tech jobs uh, and that'll increase over time. And because it's RBC, because it's sort of the bluest of the blue chip companies in Canada, I expect a lot of other companies will watch what RBC is doing and say, hey, they know what they're doing. Uh, we'll jump in after. So that was a real great day to hear that news. It is for sure. Okay, we want to touch on this one before we let you go. Um, and this is, you know, something we've been talking about for the past, you know, week or so. But councillors who are running for mayor, commenting on all sorts of things and promoting ideas that they have, some of which appear to be more candidate speak than definitely as a, a councillor would talk about. Thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I actually wish we had more of it. I know that sounds crazy. But, you know, there's a lot of politicking going around the council chamber, and certainly one candidate, Councillor Farkas, is just using that as an excuse to get as many email addresses as he possibly can. This week, it's, do you believe in selling city parks? Which is, of course, not at all what the council does. Um, but it, he's going to get your email address because you're mad about that. Uh, it is a bit frustrating. But what I would actually like to see is really the candidates come out with some good ideas. You know, all of them. Uh, I'm finding that their platforms are interchangeable, that anyone's brochure could have anyone else's <clears throat> photo on it. 
really the only one I've seen coming out with really interesting new ideas. They're not all perfect, but at least they're there, is Jan Damery. Um, the others are playing a very safe game, and I'm curious if that will change as we get closer to the election. Very interesting times, and it's the longest civic election in the history of the city. So, <laughs> Truly. Uh, no kidding. Still got another year and a half before. No, it's October. So thank you so <laughs> much. Fact, just over three months. We just passed the three-month mark. Time for lots of stuff to heat up, uh, for sure. And you've got the uh, the best seat in the house to watch it, uh, Mr. Mayor. I do. Uh, <laughs> thank you th- so much, and, and have a great weekend. Thanks, everyone. Stay safe. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. Good stuff. That is Mayor Nahed Nenshi. It is and certainly has been a busy week in the United States with border issues, rising COVID cases and wildfires all in play. Jennifer Johnson is a global news correspondent in Washington, D.C., and she joins us now. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, Sue. Hey, thanks, thanks so much. For thanks for being with us. Okay, let's start with the border since it affects uh, both the American and Canadian side of things. So Canada is set to reopen the border to double-vaxxed U.S. travelers, but the U.S. not doing the same. Why do they not want us down there, Jennifer? Well, the U.S. I, I think the the latest date is August twenty first that the Biden administration has pushed back on. Um, why? I, I don't think it's that they don't want the Canadians to. I think it's the fact that the COVID cases are rising so dramatically mm-hmm. in the United States, and um, the health officials, federal health officials, are just worried that it might add to the problem because we're we are in a real crisis right now again because we have over 50% of the population not vaccinated, and now hospitalizations are up, new cases are skyrocketing, um, deaths are up, and it's coming at a time when traditionally for hospitals, this is the slower time. This is not flu season. It's not, you know, it's not the middle of the winter when when hospitals are pretty swamped. But, um, you know, I think think that this is just a, a move, a cautionary move, if you will. Jennifer, I got a two-pronged question for you here. And, and number one is, you say 50% unvaccinated. Is that uh, one shot or both shots? And is, is there one area of the country that's leading the charge, or are cases up everywhere? So that's 50% of both shots, but we still haven't reached the 70% mark of one shot. Um, getting back to your second question, the cases are rising in 46 out of 50 states. They're they're rising the highest in Florida, Texas, and Missouri. Florida leading the pack, um, and those are states, um, along with several others in the Midwest and in the South, that have the lowest vaccination rates. For example, Alabama's hospitalization rates are skyrocketing, and they are about at thirty four percent of vaccination rate. Um, so, what we're seeing is the states that if you will, downplayed and didn't push for people to get vaccinated are seeing a huge uptick in new cases. 99% of the people who are in hospitals and are also dying from COVID-19 right now are unvaccinated. But the cases are skyrocketing. There was a 50% jump from the week ending um, leading up to July 20th to this week. There's been a 50% increase in new cases. And the problem is, it's not, you know, it's not just the unvaccinated getting COVID. It's also the vaccinated. I mean, I have a colleague who was making coffee the other day and said, I I, I can't smell the coffee, called the boss. And the boss, like, you can't come in, get a COVID test positive for COVID. Wow. So, 
you know, it's it's out there and it's and you know, all of mitigation efforts have been relaxed across the country. I mean, it's it's you don't see people wearing masks very much anymore. They're certainly not socially distancing. I mean, you walk into the CVS here in my town, nobody's wearing a mask or very few people are wearing a mask. So if you know, we're just in a, another quandary, if you will, but it's, it's not great. And the CDC is pushing the unvaccinated to get vaccinated and they're just not doing it. It's got to be frustrating for the people who've had their vaccinations. But so can we tie it back to, you know, the Trump factor or the Republican Party factor of, you know, them, you know, trying to really downplay it right from the start and people continue to buy into that mindset? Right. I mean, I think that, that definitely, definitely is a factor. The fact that the um, president, the former president, downplayed COVID. You know, said it's you know it's just a bad flu. Even when when um, Walter Reed and doctors were taking historic and you know unbelievable measures to keep Donald Trump alive, he still came out of the hospital downplaying the situation when he received a drug that that. I don't even know the statistic. It was far less than 1% of any American had received from Desivir. So I think that the whole message of this isn't a big deal, this isn't a big deal, you know, went out under the Trump administration despite Debbie Burks, Dr. Debbie Burks, and Anthony Fauci's best efforts. But those, the Republican Party and some of the governors downplayed this. And now, once again, like in Florida, they're getting creamed with cases. Mm-hmm. Florida and Alabama and Texas those, you know, Republican states. And so I think you can trace it back to how this all began. I mean, the problem is, you know, going back to the vaccinated now getting COVID, you just don't know with this disease what the long-term effects. I mean, the vaccinated who are getting it may not feel sick, but but you don't know. You don't know if it's having some underlying effect on your heart or, you know, Mm -hmm. one of your organs. It's just, it's so frustrating getting back to what you said, Sue. It's so frustrating for we, the vaccinated, to still be in this situation because so many people just won't get the shot. You mentioned the percentages are being lower than they perhaps should be when it comes to vaccinations. And and I'm wondering, you know, you mentioned that the, the things are wide open. People aren't wearing masks. But how much of an issue, something we're hearing about globally, is the Delta variant? Is, is it a real player down there when it comes to these hard cases? So these new cases, in a, in a little over 80% of the new cases, they are finding the Delta variant. So it's a huge factor. Now, they the, all of the vaccines um, have shown to have some protection, less with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, but the Pfizer and the Moderna definitely are showing protection for the Delta, vaccine, uh, Delta variant. And so it is, a, it is a factor, but those of us who are vaccinated do have some protection against it. Jennifer, we just want to jump before we let you go, because this is something that's affecting us here in Canada and particularly in Alberta, but uh, devastating wildfires in B.C. and on the other side in Saskatchewan, too. But and not a whole lot better in the Pacific Northwest in the U.S. either, is it? It is just incredible what is going on out there. And I just was reading an article this morning that's saying that uh, we're going to go through another really brutal heat wave out west, and it's going to trickle over to the east coast, but particularly bad out west. They just issued extreme drought and exceptional droughts. And that's a term I have never heard in all my years of reporting for um, conditions in the West, for several states in the West, exceptional drought conditions, because there's just no rain. They've got over 80 fires burning out of control. The bootleg fire 
is massive. It's so bad that we're, we actually see the smoky haze here on the East Coast. The health officials mm. in New Jersey and New York, Pennsylvania issued orders for people with heart and respiratory problems to stay indoors because we're feeling the effects over here of that fire in Oregon. And, you know, typically wildfire season in California and, you know, the states out west is the worst in September. And it is just incredible what's going on now in July. Jennifer, we'll have to leave it there for time. Uh, Have a great weekend and thanks for joining us. You too. Thanks, guys. Nice to talk with you. You too. That's Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington correspondent. Before they broke for the summer, the federal government passed a new law giving tax breaks to small businesses, particularly those where parents were selling their business to their children. But there's a lot of confusion whether or not the law is actually in effect. We're joined now by the owner of Transcend LLP and CGA accountant, Steve Muth. Good morning to you, Steve. Good morning. How's it going this morning? Good. Thank you for spending some time with us on a Friday. This uh, new legislation gives people selling their small or medium-sized businesses to their children a bit of a tax break. How does this work exactly? Can you give us some insight? It's a bit of a a long, drawn-out statement, but trying to make it a short story is that when an individual sells their business in certain circumstances, they can use a capital gains exemption to shelter the first approximately $876,000 of that sale. Under the old legislation, that exemption could not be used if the business was sold or transferred to a related party, specifically children. So it was an incredible inequity in that regard. So this legislation is to intended to remove that inequity and treat a sale or transfer to your child the same as if it was sold to an unrelated person. Has this been an issue, Steve? Is that why we're dealing with this now? Oh, yes, absolutely. They have been trying to deal with this. Various political parties, usually oppositions, have been trying to deal with this for a couple decades in various forms. And other legislation has tried to get this fixed. But finally, thankfully to that one uh, Conservative Party member who stuck with it long enough and enough liberal backbenchers who actually saw this inequity, it got pushed through. So, yes, this has been a significant barrier to small private businesses. All right. You know, it's it's passed. Then that's great. However, the issue now is whether or not the, the rules are actually in place. Now, the Federal Finance Department says the law came into effect at the end of June. The government says January 1st. Yet another committee says sometime <laughs> in November. Just pick a date, right? It's like, it's like the Wheel yeah. of Fortune. Um, all very confusing. Do you know when it's actually in effect or has it been in effect? It, it is as of the 29th of June or whatever that date was in the last week of June. It is in effect. The The lawmakers in the Department of Finance have clarified that with a bunch of asterisks put out by the finance minister saying that they're making specific amendments, which they coincidentally already had drafted. So there's a bit of a conspiracy theory there that are going to be in effect no later than November 1st, if everything goes according to plan. Now, the federal election that's coming this fall will probably throw a bit of a curveball in that. But yes, it is in effect today. That has been confirmed. So the government seems concerned that maybe business owners are going to use this bill and, and abuse the bill as a way to avoid taxes. Is that, does that seem to be the bottom line here or what the concern is anyway? Yes, that would be the concern. 
tax lawyers and tax accountants by nature are evil scheming people. <laughs> uh, tax lawyers have the evil gene. Hitler had it. Walt Disney had it. Tax lawyers have it. So they, they sit around oh, wow. and scheme up ways to find loopholes. It's what they're paid to do. And my firm, we all do it. And we're paid very well to do it. So they are afraid, the finance department is afraid, that very wealthy individuals, not not small business owners, but wealthy individuals, will find a way to cut down their tax bill using this, which is an incredibly small minority compared to the small and medium-sized private businesses that are in this country. So they are trying to use a sledgehammer to kill a mosquito and make an issue where I don't think there really is one. Let's uh, let's uh, talk about the process to receive this break to to take advantage of this. Is this something that if if I have a business, for example, and I decide to sell it to my daughter, that I have to go out of my way to find out how to to get this leg up, if you will, uh, or is it because uh, I'm I'm guessing if it's a government thing, they want to make it as hard as possible. It, yes, it's and it's always been a bit of a process. Anytime you transfer a business, you want to make sure that you get the proper advice. And this would apply only in certain circumstances, i.e. where the existing business is run through a corporation. So if you own it in your personal name through proprietorship, doesn't apply. And it also applies, you know, if you are, um, it's a, an active business. It doesn't work for rental properties or investment companies or those scenarios. So there are some nuances to it. You definitely want to have the qualified advice to make it happen. But when you look at potentially saving $160,000 or more, when you're gifting the business to your child, it's worth your effort to try and find it. Mm -hmm. Well, when the government gets involved, there's often a lot of confusion that follows. And this is certainly an example of that. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Stephen. You're more than welcome. Have a good day. You too. That is Stephen Muth, who's the owner of Transcend LLP and a board member of the High River Chamber of Commerce. I, I think it, what to Steve, my biggest takeaway is like he was talking about, you, you got to have the right advice. You got to know people. 100%. When you, and this is bigger than just filing your personal income taxes. But how many people try to take these things on and not know, leaving money on the table, whether it's a government program, some kind of a loophole or, or, mm-hmm. or money that you could claw back? Um, it, he, it's a tough worked one. hard to, to start a business, to create a business, yeah. to get it running and have it up and profitable. And you want to leave it to your kids. You want to make sure that you've got the right advice moving forward and, and how you take care of that. Cause yeah, that's not something that you want to just allow to, to, to fall away. Yeah. It, because you didn't get the right advice and someone telling you properly how to take care of things. It is, it costs a little bit more, but you know, like he was saying, in the, end. the number that he dropped was $160,000. If you had to pay a few thousand for a lawyer to make that 160, I'm no mathematician, <laughs> uh, but I think it would definitely be uh, well worth it for sure. Hey, you know, uh, this is interesting. Speaking of working, uh, 25% of Canadian workforce could be working from home after COVID, they say, but the labor laws are outdated for remote work and telecommuting. But boy, it seems like, uh, you know, Canadians really have embraced this working from home concept. I think a lot of people said, uh, not for me, need to go back when as soon as possible following the pandemic. But there are a lot of people who just really have fallen in love with the whole concept and and we've realized, too, how many businesses, you don't need people in the building. They can do their job from home. You know you know where I think this will really get some traction? Uh, those businesses that had a lot of office space to house of uh, these uh, yeah. staff members. If they're finding the bottom line, 
hasn't been affected, if they're finding that their business is clicking along, do you need to have that overhead? Because, you know, the real estate is it. And, uh, you know, we're uh, going to have a, in business coming up in about 25 minutes here, the latest numbers when it comes to the downtown vacancy rate. Well, I don't have a lot of optimism if the, if right? the, working, if the working from home has I been mean, working. Yeah, it's been so Whoa. bad anyway here in the city of Calgary particularly. But, uh, you know, yeah, through a year and a half, most people have discovered they can certainly do their, their work from home. How many more businesses are going to leave not just downtown, but throughout because they realize yeah. they don't need their locations anymore. It's just, it's a bit of a scary thought, isn't Maybe it? You let the lease run out. You never know. Yep. So, um, you know, it's an interesting story. We'll, we'll know in the next few months. And I think by September, we'll know who is coming back and who is staying home. With barbecue season in full swing, you might be looking for ways to spice things up on the grill beyond the old humdrum salt, pepper, and olive oil treatment that you normally give to your steak, for example. Absolutely. Well, you know, you might think you've got the perfect thing on the go, and you've got to elevate your game. So you don't have to worry about it. We've got you covered. We've got the solution. Janine Norman is the owner of Alpine Sausage, and she's here to tell us why it's much better to rub your meat. Mm -hmm. Good morning to you, Janine. Good morning, Andrew, too. <laughs> uh, well, the pros tell you when it comes to any type of cuisine, preparation is everything. So you have a few tips for us when it comes to meat prep for the barbecue, including rubbing that meat down. And You're got, sassy, Janine. You've got some... <laughs> some Thank you. Thank some, you. Some very cheeky tips um, when it comes to prepping the meat. Tell us about uh, tip number one to begin with. Oh, we've got actually seven collector cards. Never thought that Alpine Sausage would be in doing <laughs> collector cards, but the the pro tips were so hilarious that uh, we had some customers in and said, oh, my military buddies would just love this. So we actually turned them into collector cards and people are coming into the store just to buy the spices so that they can get the collector cards. That's awesome. And we've got, yeah. We've got quite a number, and I mean, although the titles are, are very humorous, um, the pro tips are actually absolutely true. Sure. So uh, probably my favorites just off the top of my uh, head here, um, number one, moisten your meat before rubbing. Mm. Um, obviously, you know, if you do some kind of like a light oil, it, it shows how evenly you're coating your meat. Mm -hmm. Um, it also helps the spices adhere better to your meat. Um, here's another one. Rub your meat before you go to bed. Um, always. This is, yeah, always. Better sleep. Yeah. Um, for larger cuts of meat, if you're doing like a, like a brisket, the longer you leave the rub on your meat, the better the chance that it has for the flavors to actually penetrate the meat. Hey, Janine, so, what question, though? Uh, should we wrap our meat before bed, too? Like, for example, <laughs> I see, like, a lot of these pro barbecuers, they've rubbed their meat, and then it seems like they wrap it tightly in, a, like, a saran wrap. Is that Should we do that as well? Well, you know what? You don't actually have to, and it actually takes off a lot of the rub. So okay. you can just leave it right in your, right in your fridge um, without covering it. Rub it all. and leave it raw. <laughs> Are we, is it, can, do we need to be definitive of what type of meat we're, we're rubbing and, and leaving raw or is it no is this all? not at all in fact you know the good thing about spice rubs is is you know it's more than just ordinary salt and pepper spice rubs can actually elevate just a normal everyday piece of meat and just make it a masterpiece you even gave me a fish rub I did give you a fish rub. I can rub my fish down, too. You can rub your fish, too. Okay. And it's not just for grilling season. Oh. You can use uh, spice rubs all year long. Um, a lot of yeah, people you focus. Can. Yep. Yeah, you focus a lot uh, on grilling. 
Um, we have a whole uh, smoking team that we do once a month. Um, uh, we call it our, our meat Olympics. And a lot of smoked meat will use uh, rubs instead of marinades. Well, it pays to keep it spicy, Janine. We'll send everybody into your shop to get uh, some Alpine sausage, some meat, and, the, and then these seasonings that you have. And uh, can I trade in my Gretzky card for some of these uh, cards that you're, you've got? Do you oh, want to take absolutely. a trade in? Okay, yeah, good. Absolutely. We'll oh. take a straight trade. For okay, that, perfect. Sure. Thank you so much for joining <laughs> us. Happy uh, barbecuing over the weekend and happy uh, spicing things up as well. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Andrew. Bye-bye. Janine Norman, owner of Alpine Sausage, alpinesausage.ca. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.